All right, take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to be having a baptismal service after the preaching time this afternoon. We also are going to spend some time praying together over our um, packets for our native ministry that we put together yesterday at Great Commission Day. And thank you for those of you who are here to help us with that. And uh, we'll spend some time praying about that. Also, I'm going to show you a video uh, from Brother George that he sent me this morning of Brother Ahmed's baptism as well. And I'd mentioned that he was going to be baptized soon. That happened yesterday for them, today for us, I suppose. Um, and so I want to show that to you as well, because that's an encouragement. Amen. And a praise. So we'll be doing all of that after... Uh, the preaching this afternoon. But for now, I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> and I want to direct your attention to verse 4. And I told you that we were going to be starting a series of messages on the idea of experiencing calm in a chaotic world and the formula that God has for His people that we find in these verses. And so today is going to be an introductory message to this series, and we'll walk through some things and make some applications as well today. Uh, beginning in verse 4, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The message or the title of the message this afternoon is Less Fret, More Faith. I want to focus in on this phrase in verse 6 to introduce this whole subject. And the phrase in verse 6 is, is the first words of verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. See if you can figure out what it is that I'm talking about here. It's like a low-grade fear an edginess, a dread, a cold wind that won't stop howling. It's not so much a storm currently as the certainty that a storm is coming, always coming. Sunny days are just an interlude. You can't relax, can't let your guard down. All peace is temporary, short term. It's not the sight of a grizzly bear, it's the suspicion of one or two or ten behind every bush behind every turn. Inevitable. It's just a matter of time until the grizzly bear leaps out of the shadows, bears its teeth, eats you up, along with your family, all of your friends, your bank account, and even your pets. There's trouble out there. So you don't sleep well. You don't laugh much. You don't enjoy the sun. You don't whistle when you walk or when you work. There's a dread. Good people will inevitably turn bad. The other shoe is going to drop. Fine print will always be found. Misfortune lurks. It's just a matter of time. What am I? 
Anxiety. Anxiety. And we're going to talk about that this afternoon. Um, the life that is full of anxiety. When the Word of God says, be careful for nothing. First of all, what is anxiety? Anxiety is a meteor shower of what-ifs. Now follow this. The idea is the, the mind works in a way that it's always, well, what if this happens? And what if that happens? And what if this? And what if that? And it can go to extremes. Like, what if I don't get the raise that I need? And what if my kids end up having crooked teeth? And what if I can't afford braces for my kids because I didn't get that raise? And what if it makes my kids ugly because of those crooked teeth and they never ever get married or find a spouse? And then what if they end up homeless and hungry having to hold a sign up on the side of the road that says my parents couldn't afford braces for me? The life of the what if is imaginary. People experiencing anxiety often play the what if game. Anxiety is trepidation. Anxiety is suspicion. Anxiety is constant apprehension. Often living like the sky is falling and it's falling disproportionately on me. And the result of that thinking is that we become very anxious people. Lives filled with anxiety. A free-floating sense of dread, always. It hovers over. A nebulous hunch about things that might happen sometime in the future. Not currently happening, but might happen sometime in the future. It's the game of what-ifs. Anxiety is also related to fear. It's not the same thing as fear, but it's related to it. In fact, talk about cousins. Legitimate fear sees an actual threat. Anxiety imagines one. Are you following this? You play the what-if game. Fear sees an actual legitimate threat. Anxiety imagines one. Fear screams, get out! Anxiety ponders, what if? And it plays the scenarios over and over and over and over again in the mind, scenarios that actually haven't happened. Fear creates the fight or flight response. Anxiety creates doom and gloom. Fear is the pulse that pounds when you see a rattlesnake coiled and ready to strike in your yard. Anxiety is the voice inside of your head that tells you never, ever, ever for the rest of your life walk out into the grass without shoes on because there might be a rattlesnake there. People full of anxiety can be like people who can't catch their breath. They're always out of breath, almost. The angst of life always leaves them exhausted. Anxiety can take your breath for sure, but here's the thing. Anxiety takes a whole lot more than your breath. It takes away your sleep. It takes away your energy. It takes away your sense of well-being. It takes away mental health and a host of other things. Anxiety can twist us up into emotional pretzels. 
Anxiety can cause body aches. It can cause pains from stress in our life. It can make your eyes twitch. It can make your blood pressure rise. It can cause headaches. It can, listen, it can make your armpits sweat, okay? And the chances are that you or someone you know seriously struggles with this issue. And I told you before that we were going to start this, and somebody might say, well, why are we going to preach on that subject? Because I think and I believe that it's a lot more common than what we want to believe, especially in the world that we live in. God does not want us to live in fear, and God does not want us to live full of anxiety in our life. That is not the Lord's will for us. Let me just give you some stats here before we get a little farther. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. In a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, phobias, or other anxiety disorders. Our chest will tighten, we'll feel dizzy and lightheaded, we'll fear crowds and avoid people. Anxiety disorders in the United States are the number one mental health problem among women and second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. The U.S. is now the most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations to us. The land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. This is costly. Stress-related ailments cost the nation over $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity. We're tense people. And the question that comes to mind is, why? Maybe why the world is that way, but why are God's people that way? Because again, that is not where the Lord wants us to live. So we ask the question, what is anxiety? And we kind of get the idea of what it is. But what can cause it? What causes it? There's a number of things that could cause it, but let me just give you a few. One of the number one causes of anxiety among people is change. When things change, people get a sense of well-being, people get a sense of security with the things around them or the way that life is, or there's a life structure that is built that gives them this sense of identity to them. And when that changes or when all of a sudden there's like your eyes are open to something different, like that's not at all what I thought it was change happens and it can create all of this instability in the life that brings about a lot of anxiety. Researchers speculate that the Western world's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than it has in the last 300. What has changed in our world? What has changed in our country that is helping to produce or cause anxiety in people. Well, one of the things that, I, that comes to my mind immediately is technology. Technology and the, the access to the internet is something that I think is, is, is a lot more of a problem than we want to recognize. With the increase in technology and the use of the internet has also come the increase of information access. Bad things happen in this world. But you know what? Bad things have always happened in this world. From the time of, of Adam's creation or from the time of the fall, bad things have always happened in this world. 
The difference is, is that we don't hear about every bad thing, or haven't in the, in the years prior. Haven't heard about every bad thing that's happened all over the world. Mankind has been just as bad, if you want to call it, because of sin from the, from the fall. Like I said, the difference is, is that we haven't heard about it or known about it. Changes and new threats are constantly bombarding us in our society. In our lives, every few seconds with the swipe of a finger, as you scroll social media, what do you see? The bad things happening all over the world. In my grandparents' generation, news of, say, an earthquake in Nepal that killed 27 people, that would have taken days for that news to travel to the United States of America. In my parents' generation, and even mine, (laughs) to say, to be honest, the nightly news was the thing that would tell us of the latest catastrophic events. You know, something happened and we wouldn't hear about it until the nightly news. But now, in just a few seconds, we haven't even processed one crisis before we're moving on to the next crisis because it's just constantly flowing with that information. Seconds later, something, something bad could happen in Nepal. And seconds later, we know about it in the United States of America. Constant change. And technology and the access to information overload and bad news upon bad news and the politics here and what's going on there. And it's just constant bombardment. That can be a source of anxiety. You ever feel that? Like I get on social media or I get on the news or look on something and the the latest thing that happened in the legislature of Alaska just ticks me off. And then I scroll a little bit farther and then what's happening with the the Democrats in the political realm in the United States and then the the gay rights and abortion groups and, and all the things, it's just constant. And then another mass shooting and then this and that. And it's like, right? The feeling, the feeling that comes inside, right? I'm not wrong. You know what I'm talking about? The feeling that you get inside. The constant change. That can be a source of anxiety. Another source is that the world is moving faster all the time. People used to travel in one day as far as a horse or a camel could take them during daylight hours. That's as far as we go. But us, we jet through the night, through time zones like their neighborhoods. You know? Everything is go, go, go. In the summertime in Alaska, everything is go, go, go. Stuff this in there, pack that in there. We've got this to do, we've got that to do. It's go, go, go. Everything is on high alert. Everything is demanding. We're always on edge. We're always on high alert. We don't take the time to turn the brain sensor off when the sun sets. And especially in Alaska, right? 
Like, come on, come on, people. Like, do I have to explain it to you? When I, I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, but the, when I first moved here, it'll, we're going in our 10th, 10th year. When I first moved here, um, there was a lot of things to do to get settled, to get set up, to like you just move your entire life. And I remember I was out building my woodshed like at the end of June. And I'm working and working and working and working and working and working. And Cara comes out of the house and she like hollers over. She's like, hey, are you coming to bed? And I'm like, yeah. Like, what time is it? She's like, it's one in the morning. I was like, what? One in the morning? <laughs> you know, the, the, when the sun goes down, the brain sensor shuts down and it's time to, to go to bed. That doesn't happen so much anymore, especially in the summertime here. Everything is go, 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 and we're always on demand and always on alert. Listen, what I'm saying is that constant barrage leads to stress. It leads to exhaustion. It leads to anxiety. I remember last summer I learned a big lesson. Sometimes there are things that you feel are really important, and you have to get them done. And you only have this much time to do it. And so because it's urgent, it becomes your master, right? And you go and you go and you go and you pack this in and pack this in there. And plus you have all the fun that you want to do. And I remember feeling this last summer. I remember feeling very convicted by the end of the summer because we had all of these things going on. And it was like you work so hard to do this and then you do the fun for a day and then you got to undo it. And then you're planning for the next one. And all of the really important things start to get pushed to the wayside. And I got to the point where I wasn't even enjoying the things that I said I wanted to do. And I look back and I, said, I thought to myself, and I believe the Lord showed me this, that the reason is, is because your priorities are wrong, number one. Number two, you're trying to stuff too many things in. That's not how I want you to be. This exhaustion that you're feeling, this stress that you're feeling, you're not even enjoying the things that you say you want to do, is all now become your life. And the reason is, is because, you're, the reason is because you're, trying to, you're trying to do too many things that aren't actually that important. Those things become urgent things, and they've become your master. And I was like, you know what? Lord is right. He always is. So I on purpose made some changes for how things were going to go, Lord willing, for myself this year. Because I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be in that same position. I don't want that feeling of stress and anxiety and the constant barrage uh, that, that, that basically makes your life pass by you and you miss all the really important things. Another source or cause of anxiety can be personal issues and challenges that you have in your life. Like trials, for example. They can become a source of stress and anxiety in your life. Whether it's physical, you know, you're, you're bankrupt, you're broke, you're fighting sickness, you're losing your job, something physical that is draining, it can be a source of anxiety in your life. It can be relational, meaning that you've got terrible relationships with other people, and it's a constant source that is just, mm. it can be a source of anxiety. It can be emotional. 
It can be spiritual. And by the way, at the bottom of it all, it is a spiritual issue, by the way. And we'll get to that. But these are sources of anxiety. Age can be a source of anxiety. With age comes a whole slew of changes of life. Increased worry, increased fear. I remember my dad, um, I, this noticeable change in my dad. When I was a kid, I didn't ever think of my dad as being somebody who worried a lot or, or you know, had much care that way. It wasn't, he wasn't the kind of like, oh, don't do that because of risk and so on. That wasn't my dad. But when, when I got older, when I started having kids, all of a sudden I saw this change in my dad. And my, like my dad was the biggest worry wart there was when it came to the grandkids. Because I'm out there, the kids are playing, they're like, oh, they're going to do this, they're going to bash their head, and I'm like, oh, they'll be fine. Rub some dirt in it. And my dad's just like, oh, no, 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 like this, trying to protect the little kids. And I'm like, what in the world? But it's because of he got older. He got older. And with age can come an increased worry and increased fear because things are different in your life than they used to be. And people can be full of anxiety simply because of trials, because of age, because the world is moving faster, because of the bombardment of information. All of these things basically make up life. And life can be a source of anxiety. Do you know what the older I get, the more that I realize I don't want to be around drama I don't want to be around conflict. I don't want to be around stress. And you would think that the Christian would be exempt from those things, but we're not. You know, we've been taught that the Christian life is supposed to be a life of peace in the Lord. And so when we don't have peace, we assume that either the Word of God isn't true or I'm the problem. Because the Word of God says the peace of God will be with you. Well, I'm not experiencing that. So is God's Word not true? Well, we would never say that, right? Paul says, be careful for nothing. And all I'm living is full of care of everything. Is that out of touch? Is that not the Word of God? Not only do we feel anxious, but we also feel guilty about our anxiety. And the result is this downward spiral of worry and guilt and more worry and more guilt, and it's enough to cause you to start to get anxious about your worry and your guilt. It's a cycle. And so again, the question is, was, was Paul out of touch with reality? When he said these words, be careful for nothing, was he really not inspired by the Spirit of God to write these words, be careful for nothing? You know what? If he said, be careful for less, that would have been hard enough, right? That would have been sufficient challenge enough. Be careful for less. Or be anxious only on Thursdays. Thursday is your day for worry and anxiety. Or be anxious when it's a season of trial or burden, then okay. But that's not what he said. 
He doesn't seem to offer any leeway here. He says, be careful for nothing. That's a strong statement. Have you thought about it? Have you thought about it? Be careful for nothing. What does Paul actually mean with this phrase, be careful for nothing? The word careful literally means anxious. So when we're talking about anxiety, we are talking about exactly what Paul is saying. Be careful or anxious for nothing. The word nothing means not one thing. That's what it means. So be anxious for not one thing. Here's the kicker. It's written in the present active tense. And what that means for us, it implies that this is something that is an ongoing state of life. Listen, what I'm saying. Think about what I'm saying. Be anxious for nothing in an ongoing state of life. In other words, Paul is talking about the pattern of a way a person lives. Paul is talking about a life of perpetual anxiety about anything that should not be present in the life of a child of God. The, the, it would indicate a life that, listen, a, a, a person who has a pattern of life that is full of anxiety, this ongoing state of life, would indicate a life that's actually not being lived by faith in the Lord. Let me make this note, just so we're aware. If you've got some anxiety in your life, does that mean that you're sinning? If the Bible says, be careful for nothing, don't be anxious over one thing. Well, I've got some things I'm pretty anxious about. Does that mean I'm sinning? Well, having the presence of anxiety in our lives at times does not automatically equal sin. The presence of anxiety at times is probably going to be unavoidable at some point because we're human. However, the prison of anxiety is not of God. Okay? The presence of anxiety, that's probably unavoidable at times. The prison of anxiety is not of the Lord. Anxiety is not a sin. It's an emotion. But we can feel anxious about being anxious. Anxiety can, however, lead to sinful behavior, and that's what we need to be aware of. For example, when we numb our fears with something, rather than take those things to the Lord or we spew anger in response to issues of life, or we peddle our fears to anybody that'll buy them, that's sinful behavior. Instead of taking it to the Lord, we try to numb it, we try to ignore it, or we'll talk about it, you know, uh, to, not that we shouldn't talk about our issues, that's not what I'm saying. Or we respond in a fleshly way to issues, that, that, that can be the sinful behavior. Just the presence of it, though, doesn't automatically equal sin, but it could lead to sinful behavior. However, if we live under the prison of it, that's not of the Lord. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 41, the Bible says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful 
and troubled about many things. What's he talking about? You're full of stress. You're full of anxiety in your life. And then he says in verse 42, But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. What an interesting contrast is laid out there. Martha, you're careful and you're troubled about, any, about many things, but there's something that's really needful. And Mary's chosen that thing, and it's not going to be taken away from her. What was she doing? What was Mary doing? Martha was cumbered about. She was serving, and she's like, Lord, tell my sister to come and help me. And Jesus says, leave her alone, because she's sitting at my feet. Who was the one who was at peace? It was Mary. Who was the one who was troubled? The one who was doing all the stuff. The point I'm trying to make here is that Jesus Christ is the source of peace. He's the one that we need to come to and lay the burden at the feet. We ask the question, what is anxiety? We ask the question, what can cause it? The third question that should be asked should become personal. Am I an anxious person? Some people are like, no, nah, I don't care. No worries. Not anxious about much at all. Okay. It's probably, it can be more of a problem for others than for some. But let me just give you a little test here. And this isn't going to be exhaustive by any means, but it certainly can be an indication of something in our life. And I'll do that by asking some questions. And so you make it personal as I ask the question. Do you laugh less than you once did? Is there less joy in your life than there was at another time? Do you see problems in every promise of God's word? For example, the promise is thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. That's a promise. Do you find problems in every promise of God's word? Like, nah, that's not really true. Would those who know you best describe you as increasingly negative and critical? That's a good question. I don't think we get to, we're not a really good judge of our own character. And we're not a really good judge of ourselves. But other people are. And so those who know you best, would they describe you as increasingly negative or critical? Do you assume that something bad is always going to happen? Do you dilute and downplay good news with doses of your own version of reality? Or how about this? Many days you'd rather just stay in bed than get up. Yeah, I'm guilty of that one. <laughs> Are you one to magnify the negative and dismiss or overlook the positive? Given the chance, would you avoid any interaction with humanity for the rest of your life? <laughs> we could go on in the list if you want. But if you answered yes, to most of those questions or you could see some of that in your life I have a scripture for you Philippians 4 
verses 4 through 8. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then verse 8 talks about all of these good things and necessary things and right things. And Paul says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Amen. Friends, we ought to be so familiar with these words of Scripture that they become our friend. Five verses here with four admonitions that lead to a wonderful promise. The promise is the peace of God that passes all understanding, that keeps or guards your heart and your mind. What are these four admonitions? And in this series, we're going to break these four things down. The first is celebrate God's goodness. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Even in times of trial. Even in the things that bring about stress and anxiety. Rejoice in the Lord. This is part of the formula for finding peace with God or in God. Secondly, ask for God's help. Verse 6 says, Let your request be made known unto God. Rejoice in the Lord. Ask the Lord for His help. Thirdly, leave your concerns with the Lord. The second part of verse 6 says, do it with thanksgiving. Do it with thanksgiving, meaning that this problem, this trial in life, I'm going to just leave it with the Lord and I'm going to thank the Lord for His sovereignty in my life because He knows exactly what's going on. Fourthly, meditate on good things, verse 8. Think on things that are good and worthy of praise. If you were to do an acrostic... It would spell the word calm. Celebrate God's goodness. Ask for God's help. Leave your concerns with the Lord. Meditate on good things. You know what? I think that we could use more calm in a chaotic world. I sure can. I was studying this out Friday, and I experienced some real conviction in my own heart, but I also experienced some real encouragement at the same time because there is an answer. And you know what? To live a life of perpetual anxiety or fear or, or dread, like that is miserable, miserable. And I've lived through some of that myself. The truth of the matter is, God is there, and He's ready to give all that we need if we'll trust Him and we'll do what He says, and we'll discover a life that is characterized by actual peace and calm in the Lord rather than a life characterized by trouble and anxiety. You know what? It's going to require some work. We shouldn't have the attitude... And we shouldn't, you know, people who don't struggle with this sort of thing might, might be more inclined to be this way. We shouldn't take the attitude that anxious thoughts and fears can just be waved away with a simple pep talk. No, it's going to take some work, and it's going to take the Word of God uh, to, to be implanted in the life that's going to bring about real change. 
But this much is sure. It is not God's will that his children lead a life of perpetual anxiety. It's not his will that we face every day or every situation with dread and trepidation. God has made us for, for much more than that. God has made us uh, more, for more than a life that is, that is stolen away by angst and worry. That's not how God wants us to live. And by his power and by his word... We can truly be careful for nothing and discover the peace that passes all understanding. Are those just words that we don't really believe? Or are they promises that we can experience in our life? I think it's very interesting when we stop and we take a look at things like we're all worked up and full of anxiety and full of fear and worry and dread and the what-ifs and maybes and all of those things. If we stop and look at the fact that Jesus Christ simply spoke a word to the storms and calmed them. You remember when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus was asleep, <laughs> full of peace, they were out on the boat full of fear, full of worry. And we're going to die. And Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? And Jesus spoke a word to the storm. Right? Surely the Lord can speak to our storms of life too. Surely he's in control of those things as well. Surely he can calm the chaos that is within. He told his disciples, fear not. And he says the same thing to us. Don't fear. And as we begin to dissect these verses here, we're going to find God's solution to the chaos that can quench real anxiety in the heart and stir up courage and faith in the Lord so that we can live with less fret and more faith. Amen? Amen? Amen. And next time we're going to dig into this first admonition that's found in verse 4. Celebrate God's goodness. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is a key element in experiencing calm in our life. And so we'll start to dissect that next time. But this is sort of an introductory to the idea that we can, by God's grace, experience real peace in our life, a peace that passes understanding. We don't have to live trapped in the prison of anxiety. If we'll trust the Lord and do what he says. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be, just to meditate for a minute and think and ponder and examine our life. What am I characterized by? Life is full of trouble. Job said that man is of a few days and full of trouble. It's not going to go anywhere. It's going to be present until the Lord comes again. 
It's not the issue of making problems go away. The issue is, in the midst of trial, in the midst of it all, can we still be at peace? A peace from the Lord, or are we characterized by anxiety and fret and worry and fear and a bunch of what-ifs? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see with spiritual eyes and understand that there is hope and there is a way to live above and beyond even what our natural tendencies might be. Father, I pray that you'd use your word through this series to help strengthen our faith and our confidence in you. Father, to be able to truly experience the promise that you have laid out before us in your word. Change us. And Father, I pray that we would be the kind of people that are shining examples in this world, a world full of chaos. And there are people who need hope and they need to see that God's people are different. So, Lord, I pray that all of these, you would work to that end, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen.